for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blisey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, episode number six. I am your host, Aaron Blisey, and on today's episode, we are jumping in to a conversation with a Michigan native, and it's pretty cool because he does all running gun setups on public land in Michigan. And he was successful doing it last year, not once, but twice. Two days apart on running gun setups in the morning. So he would go in there, you know, before daylight, and he'd set up his stand, not a climber, hang on stand with sticks and everything, and he killed two bucks, two days apart, in northern Michigan. So it's a really cool episode. We dive into his equipment, you know, what stand he uses, what kind of sticks he uses and the little parts of how he does it as far as you know keeping your sets quiet trying to climb and how long it takes him to climb up in the mornings or get ready and everything it's really cool how he he does it and he's only been doing it one year last year was his first year and it was a learning curve for him but he's got it down to a science now and it's a really cool conversation so that's the podcast i've got a couple side notes don't forget that at the end of this podcast, I am announcing the winner of the Ramcat Original Broadheads. So make sure you stay tuned to see if you won that. And yeah, I'll be uh, announcing that right at the end of this podcast. Also, just a little bit what's going on in my world, because everybody wants to know, because I'm just such an interesting guy, aren't I? Uh, yesterday, I finished hanging uh, all my stands on the main farm. The 80 acre piece with one acre of timber, you know, where I was doing all the hinge cutting and creating the bedding. And so I got a total of four sets. I've got three of them within the one acre of timber on each point. So it's a triangle shape. I've got stands basically on each point for all different winds. And uh, 
I, I did put a stand on a field edge on the very south end of the farm looking over uh, where, where two ag fields hit the woods and they all meet right there. It's like a trifecta basically. Well, that's a good name for the stand. Might have to call it the trifecta. But yeah, so that's what I did yesterday. This week coming up, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm editing Rival Wild right now and, and uh, trying to figure out a time where I can get down to Chris and Casey's Lee's down in Ohio so I can get some food plots and trail cams going down there because uh that's the time of year that's what we're doing right now and i can't wait to get down there and do that so but that's enough about me i'm gonna jump in here with trevor and uh let's get him on the phone and dive into this conversation that uh you're definitely gonna want to hear and like i said don't forget at the end of this podcast i'm uh, announcing the winner for the ramcat original broadhead so without further ado trevor petrosky all right, here we are. We're uh, we're back on for another installment of the podcast, episode six to be exact. And today I've got a Michigan native on, Trevor Petrosky. Man, how you doing? Very good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm I'm excited to to get you on the podcast here. Um, you and I briefly talked about your hunting tactics, and it really intrigues me how you do. You know what you're doing here in Michigan. Um, with the running gun state land stuff. And I know you, you know, you did say you, you hunt some private ground, but today I want to, I want to specifically talk about, uh, the state land and your running gun setups. Does that sound good? Yeah. Sounds awesome. Well, cool, man. Before we get started, you know, I do a, a brief, you know, kind of bio on everybody. I, I, I want you to, to lay that out for everybody. You know, where were you born and raised? How old are you? And, and, you know, what do you do for a living? Yeah. So yeah, I'm 20 years old from Sutton's Bay, Michigan. It's about 15 minutes north of Traverse City. Um, right now, I'm just a landscaper, and I hope to get into construction, or I might uh, become a DNR officer. I haven't really decided yet. So, Okay. So you're 20 years old, so you're by far the youngest guy on the podcast so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been hunting for 10 years. I started when I was 10 years old. Uh, bow hunted right away. Couldn't rifle hunt until I was 12 back then so now i'm pretty sure they got it at any age so yeah you're uh you're you're definitely lucky when i was growing up i'm 31 so when i was growing up i had to be 12 before i could even start hunting and then it was 14 to rifle hunt so now i mean i think if you're i might be wrong in this but i think if you have an adult i think you can hunt whenever that adult feels like you could probably hunt <laughs> yeah i know that's pretty cool now though it gets a lot of kids into it so yeah, and that's that's the big thing. Hunter recruitment right now. Um, I just read the QDMA uh, report that they came out with. We're down a ton of hunters this year, which is unbelievable. But it's some like two million hunters or something astronomical. We're just down so many. So the hunter recruitment thing is is definitely something on my radar and something I really want to get more people into. But it's just so hard because. I mean, I don't even have time to, to hunt for myself <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and to try to get someone else into hunting. It's just, you got to find time to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I've been getting a lot of my friends into it, so that's good. I'm showing them a lot and getting them into public land and stuff. So yeah, for sure. And so you were talking about, you started hunting when you were 10, you know, mm-hmm. how did, how did you, how'd you grow up hunting? What was your, you know, did you hunt private land? Did you hunt public land? Um, you know, did your dad get you into hunting or, you know, what, what was your, what was your upbringing like? 
Yeah, so um, I used to go with my dad when I was a lot younger, and I'd go rifle hunt with him, and I really, really wasn't into it. And then I watched him shoot a nice eight point on opening day after school, and that was like I was hooked after that. And uh, then basically after that, when I was ten, my buddy who I grew up with, he had uh, about a hundred acres, he planted food plots and stuff on. And uh, he'd always take me down there, and he was a big bow hunter, and he would always say, oh, I hate rifle hunting. you got to be a bow hunter. So I was always, like, so into bow hunting. That's how I started out when I was 10. So so when you were starting to bow hunt, I mean, what was your knowledge like? Did, did your dad teach you a lot of bow hunting, or did he not bow hunt, or was it all from your friends? Well, he bow hunted a lot when he was younger. It was a lot of my body that showed me that. But my dad, I mean, he'd take me out all the time. Um, I had a spot down the road from my house where I could, I mean, I'd go a lot by myself. He, my dad would take me, but it was just down the road. So after school, I'd go down there and it was right off the road, about 50 yards off the road. And I mean, I saw more deer than I ever saw, really. It was a really cool spot. So yeah, I have some property up in northern Michigan here and 40 acres. And uh, we really didn't do much with it back then, but my dad would take me out and we baited a lot back then. So. I'm not really into the baiting anymore. I like food plot stuff, but that's how I really started out hunting over a bait pile. And but you learn after a while that hunting over a bait pile, they don't really you get a couple sits on it and they kind of get onto you. And uh, I've heard a lot of stories of people setting bait out, and uh, five minutes later, we'll have a buck come in if they have like two people come in, and one person sets a bait and leaves. Like I guess they say the deer can't count or whatever. And uh, that's what they do in the UP a lot, but oh, really? So they, yeah. it's kind of like kind of like how they bait for bear, right? Oh yeah. So like they'll if you got a guide or something, you'll get in the stand, and then the guide will put the bait out. So that's how they do it in the UP, huh? Yeah, no. One of my buddies actually, he uh, he had his dad set the bait out, and he was in the tree setting everything up, and he had an eight point in the bait. By the time is he could still see his dad walking out, so it was pretty, no kidding. Yeah. It's crazy. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know anything about that. Yeah. So, and I've tried it a few times too when I was younger. And like one time I saw my dad walking out and there was already a doe coming in. So it's pretty crazy. And you yeah. notice it on the cameras a lot too, but. Be yeah. Honest. That's the, that's the thing that I'm really trying to deal with this year is, you know, I was the same as you. I mean, we grew up, uh, you know, hunting over bait and. <laughs> You know, through high school, I, you know, we were baiting still. And then when I got into college and got a lot more serious with it, um, I just realized that hunting over bait didn't make me a better hunter mm-hmm. because you're, you're manipulating, I guess, I don't know if manipulating is the word for it, but you're changing the deer's pattern, you know, and you're not really learning the deer's pattern, you know, natural pattern, I would think. That's mm-hmm. kind of my take on it. And, you know, I stopped baiting for a long time and then, um, and then Michigan brought on the bait band and then they brought it back. And, you know, I mean, you know, just as well as I do once November 15th, it's a crapshoot for bow hunting and I still do rifle hunt, but it just doesn't excite me as much. Yeah. It's more of the camaraderie to go up there deer camp and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, shoot the shit and play cards and drink some beers with the guys and everything. But, yeah. um, you know, it, it now I'm not I'm not baiting at all because this year I've I just I the pressure I'm really trying to to take a step as a as a hunter in the way of I'm trying not to pressure my spots anymore 
any more than I don't have to and just staying the heck out of there because around here, I mean, you blow a, you blow up a spot like a three and a half, four and a half year old deer or something. I mean, he's gone on my properties. You know, there is instances in Michigan where they might come back or whatever, but if I blow it up, it's done. It's done for. That's what I've learned a lot too from like checking trail cams. That's the biggest thing for me because I'm just so excited to check my trail cams and see what's on there. And I find myself uh, checking them too much and you can really like tell on the cams, you'll have a nice buck there coming a couple of days and then he's gone. And it's always those three and a half and four year old bucks. But that's usually what I'm after is I'll shoot for three and a half. Cause I mean, Northern Michigan, if they're getting a three and a half. That's, I'd say that's a mature buck for up here. And I do have four and a half year olds around, but that's what I really shoot for is a three and a half. Yeah. So, so what is, what is your deer density up there? You know, you said you're up by Sutton's Bay, so you're just north of Traverse City. You're over on the northwest side of Michigan for anybody who doesn't know where he's at. What county are you in? Uh, Leelanau County. So you're in Leelanau County, and you're, I mean, you're right by Lake Leelanau then, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, that's where you grew up anyway. Now, so what's your deer density up there? Like, what's the caliber of deer that is running around up there that you, you know, that you know you hope to see anyway or you do see a lot of? I mean, I heard of a... 170 inch deer that was shot a couple years ago but i mean there's we got the antler restrictions up here so you get two tags and the three on the side and four on the side i don't know how it is down there i mean it's statewide yet but it's um that helped out a lot i think they put that in about 10 years ago 15 years ago could have been longer now but that's you can really see a difference there's a lot of nice bucks we have a lot of orchards around here in Sutton's, the Sutton's Bay area, so that kind of breaks everything up. It's kind of, there's not much woods around here. And small woodlots, but they hold some nice deer. Um, big swamps, that they hold a lot of deer too, but over out in the park land where I hunt, there's a lot of park to the west of my house, about 45 minutes away, and there's just a ton of deer out there. A lot of hunters, but a ton of deer, so helps out. And you can get far back enough to get into some nice deer, so. Okay, so... When that did come into effect, because we're not in a point restrictor down here, I'm in um, Isabella County, and we're not, so we can kill, you know, whatever we want. For well, one buck has to be, what it's your four on one side, the other one can mm-hmm. be anything, but sure. it's not, you know, it's not a point restrictor. I mean, the thing could come in, and as long as it's got four on one side, you're good to go. But um, the point restriction when you when it got implemented, or when you uh, really started che- seeing notice. Was it like, like this year it wasn't a point restriction, you know, and then next year it was, and then that you saw like a huge difference in the deer, or did it take four or five years for it to really show an effect? It took four or five years, probably. I mean, seven to eight years, honestly. Now we're really seeing like a lot of people are shooting nice deer, especially in rifle season, and now the crossbows too. The crossbows really take a lot of them, but. Because it gets a lot more of those guys out there that usually didn't go out bow hunting. Right. And they're in the rut. It's You see some really nice bucks. But in public land, too, there's some really nice deer coming out okay. of there. So. All right. So, so it wasn't just like an overnight thing. It was a gradual, you know, but it took a couple years, and, and now you're you're in it. Do you, do you agree with it? Do you like it? Oh, I love it. I think it's great. I've talked to a lot of people that really don't like it, but they're old timers. And I mean, they grew up shooting spike horns and four pointers and stuff. And I mean, I, I love seeing bigger deer. It's, I mean, that's why you hunt 
trying to get the big one. I mean, that's not the full reason you hunt, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And that's, 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 you hit the nail on the head right there because I'm the same way. I mean, my dad grew up, you know, just shooting antlers, you know, yeah. it's just, but now, and I, and it's pretty cool because I got to see my dad transition from the antlers to shooting, trying to shoot bigger deer. Now my dad's actually got like five deer on the wall from Michigan, all right around Pope and young. And, and he's done it with a bow and a gun throughout the years, but he's the type that's just like, you know, I've shot some good deer. I'm not going to shoot anything unless it's, you know, unless it's that deer or bigger. So now he's, you know, I've got to see the progression of him, which is pretty cool, but I've always been, I actually kind of got spoiled. I haven't shot anything giant. I've shot a couple Pope and young deer around here with my bow and muzzleloader, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's what I'm going for. I'm going for that three and a half year old deer. That's, I don't, I don't really care the inches as long as I know at least he's three and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that gets my heart going. And, you know, ever since I went into college and like I said, I got serious about it. That's kind of where I've been, um, until this, this last year. So last season is when I really said only three and a half year olds are better because I started killing a little better deer and getting a little bigger. And it's like the notch in the belt. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm not going to say I'm going to kill four year olds because I just don't have four year olds. And some people might say, well, that's the wrong way to look at it. Cause you gotta let those three year olds go to get to four year old. But you know, it's teach your own, you know, and a three and a half year old, it gets my heart pumping. If it's a deer oh, yeah. that steps in and I'm like, wow, that I'm going to take that deer. That's the deer I want, you know, um, the trophies in the eye of the beholder. So, and I'm not saying anybody else has to do that. I mean, you might like to shoot six points and, <laughs> or the guy, you know, your neighbor might, that's awesome. As long as they're getting into hunting and loving what they're doing and out there all the time doing it, I'm, I'm cool with that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it just it's a stab to the heart though when you got a name. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> but I'm I'm fortunate because I have a guy across from my property who manages 500 acres and he's a big Iowa hunter and everything. So he's always sending me pictures of these bucks. Like this is my up and comer, you know. Let's try to. I mean, I'm gonna shoot a nice three and a half year old deer. Like being up here, I want to. I mean, if it's 115, 120 inch deer, I'm all over it. So. Okay. That, you know, so yeah, definitely. So you you and I are on basically the same page, and mm-hmm. and I think a lot of like our generation, you know, a lot of my friends are the same way, mm-hmm. and they're just you know. But it, I think the disconnect is, you know, with your buddies, you're in this group of buddies that want to kill something, and you want to be the one to say, "Oh, I killed a buck." Mm-hmm. You know, I killed a buck this year, and then you don't want to be the guy that doesn't kill one. And you mm-hmm. know, I've got friends that that don't kill a buck every year and it's, they're okay with that because they want to kill bigger deer. And I respect that, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of where I'm at. I've just been fortunate enough to the last couple of years to be able to kill some pretty good deer. And I do go out of state and hunt in Missouri. I've got a spot in Missouri. I go, and this year I put in for my Iowa, my Iowa tag, and hopefully I'm going to might get that. And then Kansas as well. So I do have some out of state, you know, places I can go out of state, but Michigan, I, I just love hunting at home, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it just, yeah. uh, there's something about it that I really like. It's just home, you know? Yeah. It means a lot more yeah. here in Michigan than really anywhere else. That's why I'm debating. Cause I think I'm going to go to Wisconsin this fall and hunt my, uh, one of the guys I worked with, uh, he has 40 acres and then he has access to another 80 right next to him. So, but I'm going to try to go over there with my hanging hunt and 
do some public land hunting, kind of mix it okay. up, I guess. So, but that's that might be in the plan for this fall. So depends when he wants to go. Because if he wants to go October thirty first to November seventh, uh, I got to hunt here for that. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Well, that's a good transition right there. I want to talk about the running gun setup. You you know you mentioned that. Um, so give me give me your you know, your breakdown of what you're doing, how long you've been doing this running gun setup and, and what made you want to transition to this? Well, I mean, I watch a lot of those YouTube guys like the hunting public, the Midwest whitetail and, uh, seeing them do that. I really got into it, you know, and I, in August last year, when I was at the bow shop, they had a, a extreme outdoor products vanish stand. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yep. So, uh, I think it's the same guy that made lone wolf. And he sold his company, if I'm not wrong. But it's the same setup as a lone wolf, but I really like it. It's a really small stand, really about 11 pounds, I think. And uh, I got, I bought lone wolf sticks last year. So that's really my setup. And then bungee cords around. And then um, I might squeeze a backpack in between them. But it's a really hard thing to do in that early season because you will i mean you're gonna be sweaty it's hard on those hot hunts and Mm -hmm. i mean that's i just so i'm pretty new to it but so this this last hunting season was your first hunting season exclusively running gun Mm -hmm. yeah okay and so then did you do running gun on private or were you like i'm just doing all public and i'm gonna i'm gonna go throw all my chips in and do it and see how it comes out well, basically, in the early season, I hunted pretty much all public. I set, I have a couple set stands on my property that I do, but I like to move it around on my food plots because I don't like to burn out a stand. And uh, basically, I was waiting until I had a three-and-a-half-year-old, a four-and-a-half-year-old buck on camera, and I wasn't having that on my property, so I just hunt a lot of public. And it was just, we had a pretty warm season to start out. And I was just finding myself, like, I had to learn from it because I was really new to it. And it took me about, I'd say, 15 minutes to hang the stand at the beginning of the season. But every time I went out, I got a lot better at it. But it's just hard when you're going in blind because you just – it's a lot easier to have a tree that you scouted out, like, in the spring or something. Because I was just – a lot of times I found myself running around blind and – couldn't find the right tree then i'd have to walk another 100 yards and find a new spot and stay away from the bedding area but the cool thing was i saw deer every time i was out so it was really cool so what was what was uh what was your goal for this last year i mean for to to say it was a successful season did you have to kill something or like you said you saw deer every time out was that your goal what was your goal going into it so my goal was to get both of my bucks for a rifle season and to shoot at least one of them on a hang hunt. And I was fortunate enough to shoot two of them. So that was pretty, I think I met both of my goals. So <laughs> so you were really uh, shooting for the stars there. You were trying to mm-hmm. fill both tags, which is very hard to do here in Michigan, before mm-hmm. gun season. Mm-hmm. And on public land, doing a yeah. running gun setup. Yeah. Okay. So before we get to those hunts, now you said you, you filled both tags. Let's go back a little bit farther. Now, when you're, when you're trying to figure out a piece of state land that you want to hunt, did you have 
an idea that you knew you wanted to be there? Did you hear from somebody or in the past, like there's good deer in there and you wanted to go check it out yourself or during the summer? Or how did you do your scouting? Um, you said something about cameras where you throwing cameras up and, and how are you using those? Well, I don't really throw them up on public land. I do a lot of shining early season on the mm-hmm. field and stuff. And that's how we kind of pinpoint some where some of the bucks are, but you never know because they move especially in that early season. So they could be in a way different spot miles away after that. But um, basically I get on my, I have Onyx on my phone. Yep. I look at a lot of topography and stuff. And uh, we have a lot of hills around there, like a lot of bluffs and, um, and a lot of swamp. It's, I mean, we have everything. So basically in the early season, I was looking on the field edges and uh where i knew some deer have always been i've hunted these spots for i mean five six years now and um but i was going into a lot of new spots this year that was my goal just get a lot of a lot of miles down and um basically i look for a lot of scrapes in the i mean middle bow season when they start using them more and then uh when the rut comes around i'm right down in there those thickets doe thickets where i think those are betting i mean a lot of it this year was a lot of blind running guns so i mean i looked on the map and that's how i'd go so now were you hunting public land running gun even in october yeah what was your tactic for the october to try to get close to betting or you know what what was your what was your your plan for that well i was looking for acorns and apples because there's a lot of old apple orchards on some of these public lands and uh, if you can find those trees that are dropping, that's where the bucks usually are. So I was, I mean, I found a few spots where they had good apple trees, but there wasn't a single tree near them that I could sit. So I'd have to move a little bit back farther in and I'd end up bumping a lot of deer like that. So, I mean, that's what I, how I learned, I mean, not to do that the next time. And I sit on, I just find a nice trail to that apple tree and sit on it. And usually they come right by me. Does usually, but. I mean, it was just too hot this early season. I didn't really have any good cold fronts to hunt, so. Now, are you, do you like hunting mornings early season too? I actually don't. It's something, I mean, I've heard a lot of people that don't like them, and I watch the cameras a lot too. But I heard this year was good in the public land I was hunting for morning, but I could just really never get out there in the early season. I just don't something about it i always bump deer and i just don't like doing i'm more of an evening hunter okay now what what was your first setup this year like i mean take us through that like setting your stands up was it a debacle did it take 30 minutes and once you did get it set up what'd you what'd you end up seeing so i went to this public land where there was a marsh island or there was marsh around then there's this you know island with some oak trees and it was about a mile back and what what time of year was it? It was probably October fifth, I'd say. Okay, so it's early season. Oh yeah, right around opening day, and uh, took a walk back there, and I really just there's a there's a big field, and then it, there's a, some woods, and then there's another hidden big field that's bigger than the first one, and uh, so I was trying to get to that one, and then there's marsh all around it, and then that island, and then there's another marsh behind it, so it just goes for I mean, I think it's thirteen hundred acres of swamp back there and a lot of people don't go to it so i was just looking for some rubs and i mean trails food source and uh 
once I found the food source, then I tried to get on the trail. And so I went back to that marsh island and uh, got set up on it right on a trail right down the middle of it. And uh, I mean, it was hard because I was sweating, you know, it's hard to get the stand up once you're, I was just, by by the time I got there, I was barely wearing any of my own stuff anymore. It was, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, once I bought the stand, I took it out and I practiced a few times, so I wasn't like too bad at it. But like the biggest thing when you're doing those hanging hunts is you got to have that lineman belt because you can lean back and hands have both hands and do it. And I'd usually get it up in probably 10 minutes. Once season started, it was 10 minutes. And um, yeah, just you have to sit for a while, but it's pretty easy to do it pretty quietly if you uh, put some tape on the metal to metal contact. So what kind of what kind of tape are you using for that? I just use your standard camo tape. I okay. mean, it did good enough for me. Did it hold up in the weather and everything? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I didn't. I never left them out, so it was. I mean, they're pretty. My stand looks really new still. So yeah, so it wasn't getting you know weather yeah. crack from the sun and the rain yeah. and stuff like that. I got gotcha. you. No, and I'll probably buy something one of those brand name ones. I think that's Sound Barrier Hunting. I've heard of. They've got some good stuff that's meant for the running gun guy. So, so, so when you when you got up in the stand, what did you end up seeing? That was it an evening hunt. You said, yeah, evening hunt. I ended up seeing a doe, and then I let a few grunts out at dark, and also I heard something running towards me. I was like, oh god, the timing is pretty early for this, but and it ended up being a doe and a fawn ran right to my tree. So I don't know if I called her in or what, but it was instantly after. Uh-huh. And uh but yeah, I was far enough back there where there's coyotes in between me and the car howling and everywhere and the whole time I was walking in I was bumping deer. It was so I kinda waited. I didn't want to go back to that spot and burn it out. And I saw another stand on the way in there, so that didn't really help out for me going back. So now when you were looking for this state land when you're scoping this out, are you you know, are you trying to find human pressure? Are you trying to stay away from that? Or are you like picking spots out on a map and saying, I'm going there. And then that's when I'm going to, I'm going to adjust from there if I have to, like, what was your, what was your tactic going into that? Well, yeah, the biggest thing was staying away from the other people. That's if they were someone in a good spot and I knew there was deer there, I'd, I'd just leave. Like there was one time I pulled up on a spot and I was getting ready outside my car and these guys, three guys come pull up right next to me. Well, they're in one truck, but pull up right next to me and started getting out. And I was like, I'm not doing this. So I got back in my car and found another spot. And that's basically, I just want to stay away from the people. Right. If I see a stand in there on my way in, I'm not going to go back unless I'm going to go even farther back. Now, how many, how many people have you ran into like walking through the woods? Have you ran into anybody? I didn't run into anyone this year, no. Um, like, I just really try to stay away from the cars. If I see a car parked, I'd go about 200 yards down, even if it was where I wanted to hunt, and I'd try to find a new spot. But this year, I mean, i got to be ruthless. I'm going in. If I have a nice <laughs> buck, I'm, I'm going to try to take it over because I'm going to put some trail cams out this year in probably mid-July and see what I got back in way deep back in the public. Last year, you didn't use any cameras on public, mm-hmm. and you're going in blind, basically. You're just going to try to find, you know, a pinch point or an apple tree or some sort mm-hmm. of food early. 
Um, and once you did find those and set up on them, did they really work out to your benefit and really kind of put a stamp on like, Hey, that worked. I'm going to put that in my bag for next time. Oh, definitely. I mean, it was just, this whole year was a learning process with the hanging hunts and, uh, it really helped me out seeing deer. Cause then I know I could come back there. I mean, if I didn't, but I saw deer every time I went out. So I was like pretty great. And if they read the script and I mean, sometimes they go out there and be like, this is a nice ridge. I think they're going to run this ridge and I'd sit on that ridge. And I mean, they do right what I thought they would do. So that helped, that helped me become a better hunter going forward. So in all your setups this year, looking back on it now, what was the trend? What were the deer using the most? Were they on food? Was it more pinch points or was it, you know, low areas were they trying to use the topography like what was what was the aha like that's what i need to be doing next year that's my you know that's my goal what what was the movement like definitely the transition areas is where i saw the most gear like between the food and bedding and um it was usually right on the edge of the swamps because i i mean that's where i did most of my focus and uh I mean, once it got later in the season, probably mid-season, I was went up on the hills, and I just get right up on top. Or uh, if there was a, a saddle with a trail on it, I try to get right on the side of the hill. I mean, it's hard hunting like that when you're on the side, but if I'm hunting one trail and I know they're using it, that's that helped me out a lot. So I usually it usually be on the trails. That's and I'd have to see fresh tracks on them and know they're in some browse to hunt those so you're looking for fresh tracks on a well-used trail now when you're saying when you're saying bedding what are you what what is bedding to you because i I mean it's different to everybody so that's why i'm wondering is it like a cedar thicket is it you know set aside grass like what is bedding to you on that state land so if there's a nice ridge and there's like a, a point that comes out i know they're usually bedding on that if there's food down below and then um Usually in the marsh, they're right at, I mean, if there's a high point in that marsh, not really a high point, but like a dry point, they're always on it. Like I've bumped a lot of deer on the edge of the marsh. So that's how I knew they were using it right in there. And then um, basically it's those islands too. Those islands in the marsh, that concentrates a lot of deer for bedding. And I've learned that from scouting too. But I'd say the points on the hills and down in the marsh and there's a lot of dogwood in the marsh too and they're right on the edge of that dogwood so but that's what i've learned from scouting and hunting okay so now we'll we'll go into you know it's october you've had a couple sits when was the first sit that you saw did you see any good you know shooter bucks in october and just didn't get any opportunities at them See, that was why it wasn't my year. I just wasn't seeing the nice bucks. I mean, I knew that I'd hear them chasing that middle October, you know, and, uh, but I just saw some little ones, but it was a hard year with that warm weather. I really didn't, I couldn't get out when it was a cold front because I was down at school and I was only hunting the weekends. So that made it really tough because sometimes I'd miss that really good weekend. You said it was really warm. It was unseasonably warm this year. Um, mm-hmm. So you're going into November, the rut. What is your plan and your tactics going into the rut? 
So going into the rut, I completely switched where I was hunting in early season. I didn't even go back to those spots. Um, I went down in some new spots and I was hunting scrapes and the scrapes were getting hit hard and there's some big tracks. So I sat in one spot in the evening and uh, didn't see any, but I knew a buck was going to hit that scrape soon, right on the edge of a field, which really you wouldn't think a mature buck would go after it, but I was seeing some big tracks. So I knew it was, I mean, it could have been nighttime, but so I left my stand that night because I knew I was coming back the next morning and I went up in it and there was a nice buck that came in downwind to me like, like they always do. And he caught me because it was a really damp morning, which I thought I wouldn't be smelt. And it was the one day I didn't use my nose jammer and I always use nose jammer and I live and die by that stuff. Yeah. I've used nose jammer in the past too. And my biggest buck that I've killed with a bow here in Michigan, I used nose jammer that night and he, it was a northeast wind. It was really weird. October first, two years ago, mm-hmm. and the wind. I had a pattern on the deer from a trail cam. The only deer I've ever really had a pattern on, and he uh, he was coming in in daylight every other night when it was a northeast wind. So October first night just so happened to be a northeast wind, but I knew it was an iffy wind and. I nose jammed up, so I put it on the bottom of my boots, and then when I get to the tree, I put it at the base of the tree, just a just a swipe, and then when I get up in the tree, I put just a line down at the tree on top there, and I do use Ozonics as well, and I oh, okay. firmly believe by Ozonics as well, but the nose jammer, I mean, he came came in, came right to the base of my tree, and went then he went right away from me downwind and i shot him at 18 yards downwind of me had no clue i was even there mm-hmm. so the combination of nose jammer and ozonics i believe was was probably the 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 combination of the two really helped out i mean it was just i i look at that and i'm like i was in a good tree though too but i don't know he just had no idea and and it was damp that day too it rained that morning and it kind of rained through on midday and i love those cloudy days like mm-hmm. kind of drizzly I, they're my favorite days oh but. perfect in the rut those are my favorite yep yeah. and uh yeah and then it just worked out so to nose jammer i agree with nose jammer i a lot of guys don't like i got a, a buddy that just absolutely hates it just he's mm-hmm. like i've have every deer blow at me and i'm like well i you know i haven't really so the thing is you gotta, <laughs> you gotta use it almost like you gotta keep it going like you yeah gotta use it every time because yep. if you mix it in with some human scent you don't do it right that they get onto it yeah so, i mean i've had them sniffing in the air and stuff and you can see that they smell it but they can't ever figure me out so that's why i think it's great what's your what's your scent regimen yeah so i mean i bought the gridlock pants i mean i really haven't updated my arsenal of clothing yet um but i mean i use my i spray everything down i put it in a little tote and uh i really don't take it out until I get to where I'm going and I'll get dressed outside that. And uh, one of the things I do that really hurts me is I wear my boots too much. And um, that kind of screws a lot of things up. But this year I'm definitely going to update what I'm wearing. I don't know if I'm going to go with Nomad or pay the money to get the Sitka gear. Yeah. Okay. Because I really like the Sitka gear. Yep. I really haven't bought any of the name brand stuff i've just used 
what I have and I spray it down and do whatever I can and it usually works. So now when you say you get dressed, do you get dressed when you get to like get out of the truck to go hunting or do you yes. like actually carry your clothes in and get dressed at the base of the tree? No, I, I get dressed right away. If I'm eating, if it's hotter, I'll put my uh, like big coat or whatever around my waist and I'll go in and wear my under stuff because I can tolerate that. But I see usually, okay. usually wearing the same stuff, but this year I think I'm going to like not wear my stuff until I get to the tree. I mean, wear some scent proof stuff, but like lightweight stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all about a learning experience. And mm-hmm. like you said, you know, this year was all learning for you and, you know, yeah. I've been I've been wanting to to do some state land here in Michigan just to switch it up and just to not burn out my other spots, you know, my private yeah. land spots. But the thing is, is like I just don't have the time to go put in to do it. And I put all my time and effort into the private lands that I have, mm-hmm. and I do have some pretty good private lands. It's just all about getting lucky, you know what I mean? And um, I'm really I've put a lot of work into this 80 acres that I that I got a couple years ago this year um and i've kind of briefly talked to you about it off not recording you know it's an 80 acre chunk with one acre timber and and i just hung all my stands on it yesterday so i've got all the stands hung and trimmed and it was raining i know it's you know it's june but i'm trying to stay the heck out of there like i've got four stands hung there for all different winds and i've got one camera running on the south end just to get inventory and that's all i'm not I'm I'm done going in there. I do want to I'm going to plant like a little clover plot inside the 1 acre of timber in about a month. But that's I'm you know I'm not going to go in there other than that and then once I do go do that, I'm done. I'm not going back in until the first cold front whenever it is and I'm going to hunt it. Yep. That's what I'm going to focus on this year is just staying out of my even close to my bedding areas cuz I did mow my in the woods plot today. I have a little secluded plot up close to the bedding and I, I had clover in there, but it really got overtaken by sedge grass and stuff. And I mean, I might have to replant it in August, but that's on your private ground you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I did some work there today, filled the water holes and cool. Well, Hey, we got off, got off a little tangent there. That's my bad. Yes. But anyway, so back to we're in November and you're, uh, you're going in and you're getting some sets and you're getting some sets in and you just haven't been seeing the deer that you, that you, uh, been wanting to see. So you said you transitioned from hunting the early, you know, you're not hunting the spots that you hunted early in the rut. Why is that? Why, why did you decide to not do that? Because, um, I saw like, I'd come up on there and there'd be a vehicle there every time. So a lot of the guys up here, they wait till that mid-October to go hunt public land. That's why you can kind of squeeze one in right away and maybe get lucky on a nice buck because they are they are coming out right away at opening day. Okay. But once we get down close to the rut, everyone and the brother's out there, and it's it's pretty tough to stay away from people. So you got to, I mean, think outside the box of where those deer are going to go. And uh, it's usually where you never think they'd be. In the thickest area, I mean, people are like – now your average person would go to those thick, thick areas. So right, yep. So, so what what days did you kill your bucks on? I killed my bucks on um, November tenth and November twelfth. Okay, so three days or two days apart. So yep. take me through the first ten days of November before you killed those deer. 
what was your setups? You know, what were you seeing? What what was going on? So basically, around November first and stuff, I was I was hunting a lot of my private land, like going up on the hill above my property, or not above my property, but at the top corners of my property, and I was trying to get some find some bucks cruising but i just wasn't seeing any bucks on camera or anything so around november 5th i started going these public lands and seeing a lot of bucks across the road and that was just eating away at me because i just wasn't seeing them and um so that's when i started to really look and i knew we had some good weather coming about a a couple days before so so basically i was at school so I could only hunt those select weekends. So around November 1st, I'm pretty sure that was that first weekend. Then I came back around November 7th and 8th. And uh, I started to see a couple bucks, younger bucks, but um, they were cruising definitely. And that was getting me excited. But the weather just still wasn't the best. It was just warm still. I mean, I really wanted to get in those 30s and nice crisp. There wasn't really any frosty mornings I could go after. And um that's why I really like to hunt. So then around November 10th, uh, I went to this thicket. It was, that's when we got the real big snow. You remember the snow? Yep. Yeah. And the snowy weekend, it was real cold. And I drove out there and I didn't see a single car. And that's how I knew it was like, this separates the men from the boys right here. <laughs> so what were you thinking when you pulled up there and you're like, shit, there's nobody here. Now, were you like, Cause it's early in the morning, right? It's, it's dark. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking like, do you have like 30 different spots in your head that's going through your mind? Oh, yeah. Like, where do I go? Like, how did you figure out where the heck to go? Well, it always helps when you're walking in and you got the flashlight down, you walk over a nice fresh scrape and the thick areas, like it's not even a transition area or anything. And you're, you know, there's does bending around there. So I knew there's a buck hanging around and uh, you could see where the, like, I mean, you can see tracks the whole way in, so I knew deer around, and I really just went until I found, I mean, after I found the scrape, um, I found this, these three trees right together, and I just knew it was perfect, and it just, the morning was just so nice, I loved it, and um, got up in that tree. What was the weather like? What was the temp? Where was the wind? It was blowing cold. It was probably, I mean, it was in the 20s. The snow was still falling. And um, it was, I mean, I was bundled up. And uh, it really windy. So I got up there and I was on a ridge. And then it dipped down right next to me. And then it came up on another ridge. So I was kind of, I wasn't really level with the deer. But, I mean, I was just a little bit higher than them if they came down that ridge. Yep. And that's what I was really shooting for because I knew they probably come down that ridge where i was sitting i didn't think the deer would come because it was towards the car and um or behind me was i didn't think they'd come so how far did you get how far did you go in how long was your walk it was only about 300 400 yards this time really wasn't my longest walk and okay sometimes that's i mean that's the best even go up close to the road because yeah they got across that road so yeah um so I sat there and right away, I mean, I saw two coyotes right away. They were barking at me when I was uh, hanging my stand. And uh, and then right after the coyotes, I thought, I was like, okay, man, there's not going to be any deer for a while. And then right after the coyotes, my spike horn came right through, read the script, came right next to me. And then um, I saw another little buck that came by me. And at this point in the season, at three on one side, I was like, I was really itching because I was not seeing any bucks. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to shoot this deer. Like, 
how to shoot it. So it was like nice four point with three on one side and one on the other. And it was like, there's no way I'm shooting it. And, uh, <laughs> and you wanted to get your first run and gun set up. Yeah. That too. was the main reason I was really itching to shoot. Um, Cause I wanted to show people that it was possible. A lot of my friends were like, you're crazy. And I mean, the older people I know were like, I'm not going to do that. So, um, so about nine o'clock I saw a doe running weird towards me down that ridge and threw some blowdowns. And uh, then I saw a buck right behind her, and he had a nice frame. And I was like, okay, this is, I'm definitely shooting this deer. And they were coming running right by me. And uh, he wouldn't stop, so I yelled, Matt, and um, stopped about 40 yards and put the pin on his back because I, I have one of those one-pin sights you got to adjust. Yep, I run the same so one. Yep. Fast, it happened so fast that I didn't want to do it. So I'm pretty good at eyeballing it when I'm shooting the yard and stuff. So um, – I put the pin right on his back and it he sunk right into it hard shot and uh i thought he was a nice save point you know i thought i saw three on top and uh he didn't go very far so i got a couple buddies that met me there who were hunting around there and um they came and found it and it ended up being a nice five point with a nice spraying use out to the ears and i mean it was pretty special because i really wanted to get one what what was uh, let's go back a little. What was what was trying to get that deer out like? Like what, what's your you know are you are you field dressing him right there? Are you trying to get him out on a buggy or you know dragging him out? Like I mean, your first running gun setup deer has got to be. I mean, your emotions have got to be just ecstatic. Like how are you feeling in the tree? Also, right after you kill him. Oh, it was awesome. I mean, usually every time I get my phone out and call my dad right away, and that's like that's what I look forward to the whole time. Cause every time I call him and it's like prime time like that at 9am, he's like, what'd you get? You know, like, <laughs> I wouldn't be calling him. What did he so, say when you called him? He was pumped up. Cause he was like, I mean, he, he, what he was saying mostly was, see, you went out there no one else is going out there in this weather. Like there was literally no one. I mean, a few, you know, a few guys I saw, but not like it usually looks like, especially on November 10th. And, um, that's the main thing he was saying is like he, you separated the men from the boys and you went out there and got them. So he's that's hard. awesome. I'm the same way, man. My my dad's the first one I call too, and that, I just know that feeling. That's that's a great feeling. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes I mean I'll call him when I'm out there, and like usually every time I call him, I end up seeing a deer, so I got to hang up. So <laughs> I try to call him a little bit more actually, because usually I see a deer. So right. So you shot him and then mm-hmm. called your dad. And then, yep. and then you you know you called your buddies and said, "Hey, this is what happened." I mean, mm-hmm. what what's what's going to your head now? I was just thinking like it's really nice out. I'm gonna leave the stand up, and uh, so we went and got the deer, dragged it out, and I went ended up going home like 30 minutes home, and then I was like, "What am I doing here? I got one more tag, and I gotta get that stand." So I went back out there, and I hunted till dark, and I ended up seeing 14 more deer and no other rocks. Uh, actually, so around two o'clock, um, same trail that buck came down, I had a nice eight point coming in and he actually stood right where I shot the five point and I missed him. And it was, <laughs> so that would have been the ultimate thing, like two bucks out of the same tree. I didn't run and gun that time, but I mean, I left it up so I could drag him out and I knew I wanted to go back. Wow. That's but, crazy. Cause you'd think too, you know, you and a couple of buddies, you just shot a deer in there. You're in there traipsing around. You're like, you're not, you know, you, you're not thinking you're going to see any more deer. Then you yeah. see 14 other, and no, then yeah. you get a, you get a crack at a good eight, you know? Yeah. It was, 
it was crazy because before the eight point came in, those same little bucks I saw before came through and they were sniffing every branch everywhere we touched. It was pretty crazy to see how their like emotions changed and uh, ears were back and they got right. Heck, I mean, they didn't run out of there, but you could tell they were pretty spooked from, I mean, there's three guys in there dragging a deer out there, smelling everything around there. So I've never seen that before, you know, the aftermath. And I thought that was pretty cool to see. So you hunted that night, you missed an eight. Mm-hmm. Then was that a Friday? Yep, that was Friday. So then you got the weekend and rifle season's coming up here soon. So what was your plan of attack for the next couple of days to try to get that other tag filled? So I tried again Saturday. Uh, around that area actually and um so you end up you end up taking the stand back down yeah that night night. yeah that's what i usually do i can't lean on public land i just i hate doing that i don't trust anyone and um so i went back the next day and it was just too windy i only sat for like two hours i I went in midday because i was like pressure's off you know and it was pretty nasty out and um didn't see any deer like i was so i just got out of there and then sunday morning it was a, a different morning it was warming up you know the steam was coming up yeah it was around like 35 40 degrees it was dead calm beautiful mornings no way did you go back to the same tree yeah i went back to that same tree and um i actually had my dad was gonna hunt around there so he came in with me and I mean, he was handing me sticks, so I got up there a lot quicker than I usually did. Yep. And um, so he was, he left, and I mean, 20, 30 minutes after that, I started seeing deer. And so I knew it was going to be another good morning because it was just perfect. Like, that's how I like to hunt in the rut, just like that steam, a little bit of fog and stuff. Yep. And uh, so basically, right off the bat around eight o'clock, I had a doe run through. I heard a crash and run through. And uh, she ran right about 40 yards away from me, mouth wide open. So I knew she was getting chased. And she ended up bedding down under a blowdown, like 40 yards away. And I knew that was like candy. Like, Oh, yeah. Was, I was so pumped up because I knew it was going to be a nice buck. And if it wasn't a nice buck, that, that trail was there and it was coming right by my tree. Yep. And um, so about, I waited five minutes and then I hear a crash in the same direction. And I just see a nice crown on this buck running through. And I knew it was a nice one. And I mean, that's what I was after. I already got my first buck in the hanging on. I wanted a nicer buck. And he was just crashing around, couldn't find the doe. So finally, I got my bleat and my grunt out. And I used the Primos buck roar. I live and die by that thing. I've used it. I've had the same one for six years now. And I've grunted a ton of deer in with it. And uh, so I let out a few grunts and did the bleat. And he stopped what he was doing and came running right to the tree. And it was so cool because... He was grunting coming at me and coming out of his nose with steam. So it was like, I wish, I mean, I'm starting to film this year, but if I would have filmed that, it would have been a great. Dang, man. That's like, yeah. what, that's what we live for. Those I moments know. right there. That's awesome. Unreal. He came running right to me, stopped 30 yards looking at me and he was looking around for the doe. And then he came just literally did not care. He was so rutted up. He was just going through saplings, like did not care what he's running through. And then I ended up shooting up 15 yards, double long him and he went down about 30 yards away from me. Wow. But it was like it was funny because I hit him and he was so rutted up that he just kept like looked like he kept running for the doe and then he's like oh shoot I've been hit and went down about fifteen yards from the doe never ended up finding her and she just stood up and then laid back down 
so I was I wanted my dad to sit back there, but we had to take care of the deer and everything. So, so wait a second. So two days apart, you kill two bucks out of the same tree on running mm-hmm. gun setups in the morning. Oh yeah, yep. That's awesome. I mean, that's that's unheard of in Michigan and public land. I mean, guys do it, but like you just don't hear of a lot of guys doing it. Yeah. Now explain this buck. Like, what what was he? So it was a nine pointer. It was mainframe eight, and he has a sticker off his G three on his right side. And I mean, it was barely an inch. So I mean, I mean, I had to call him an eight point, but I mean, it's a nine pointer with the sticker. So yeah. And um, he scored a hundred and five inches. So I mean, I can put him in the book. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, last year was my biggest buck with my bow, and that was a 124-inch buck that I shot um, on the private land. But I was tickled because I'm, I mean, I'm shooting for those hundred. I mean, I'm still young, so I want. I mean, those hundred-inch deer are still pretty special to me. So yeah, yeah. You know, was he? Uh, did you get him aged? But yeah, he's three and a half. He was three so and a half. That was, okay, that was pretty sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely. Yeah, five so, point was two and a half, but. So, I mean, now you've got like a little rut honey hole. I mean, are you planning on going back in that little area this year? I mean, you, you kind of have to, don't you? Oh, yeah. I'm going to do the same thing I did this year, though. I'm not going to touch it until that weekend. Because, I mean, if they're if those does are coming in heat the same time every year, I mean, I've heard a lot of things that they, they do. And, um, I mean, I'm going to be right back in there. Hopefully it's a nice cold front just like that one because that, that helps out a lot. Yeah, for sure. Now, did did your dad ever go back in there and hunt at all? And, you know, how did he end up doing? In rifle, he did, but, I mean, he didn't end up seeing the deer. Like like you said earlier, rifle season, I mean, after that, it's it's really hard to, after the first couple of days of rifle, those deer, they don't really move much. Yeah. So, you know, those two hunts were prototypical, you know, the, the hot doe. You know, mm-hmm. that's what really helped you out. But it sounded like you were in a good transition area of some sort for those those deer to, you know, those does definitely want to come through there for some reason. What was the reasoning, do you think, or do you think the bucks were just running wild and just chasing them wherever? Yeah, I think the bucks are running wild. That was part of it. But with those blowdowns, that's what I like is those real, like those blowdowns, they can get right in them and lay down. Like we had a big storm come through a few years ago. And uh, that there's so many blowdowns around, especially in that area. And um, she just dove right in there. And I think she was looking for a place to hide from this buck, pestering her all day. So that was, I think that was the main thing. But I was right on the edge of the bedding. Like I wasn't going to go in there. I knew they were going to be in there, but I'd like to be in there, but I really liked the spot I was at. So what was the bedding? like for that spot was it just the blowdowns or was it like a you know a swamp cedar thick cedar thicket hemlock swamp what, what was it it was uh, a lot of there's a lot of saplings from the blowdowns so, okay so a so lot of popples popple oh, like new popple growth and everything yeah new popples and cherry growth and a lot of maples and stuff shot up but that's i mean i couldn't see 30 40 yards in there once it got to that thick stuff so okay I know exactly what you're talking about now. It it's just that new growth, like thicker and dog crap, where you're just like, you know, something's in there, but you just don't want to go in it. You're gonna hunt the fringe of it and just, you know, hopefully they come by. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it was pretty much a natural hinge cut. Yeah, so so you're, I mean, you're hunting an edge, you know, where where the more mature 
woods hits the you know the new growth so those edges man where i love going into a piece of woods where you'll see like you know a pine thicket inside of mature woods and that Mm -hmm. edge where it goes from pines to mature woods like finding that sort of edge like deer just love those edges and you know if you can find the right little pinch or transition within that edge i mean it can be dynamite Mm -hmm. yeah and the biggest thing for me was behind me was all wide open woods and there was no deer using it whatsoever so that was really cool that that helped out a lot because my wind was going that way too yeah but I knew they weren't going to try to go through there. Just huge trees that, I mean, they withstood the storm. So that was, that really helped. If you had to give anybody advice, like save even me, you know, let's say I wanted to do a hang and hunt, start doing hang and hunt public land. What, what would be the best thing for me to know right off the bat? You know, like what type of gear should I get? Um, and you know finding state land like what what should i be looking for well i mean for the early seasons the field edges and i mean you got to try to pinpoint the food source that's the biggest thing and you got to go light in early season light on the clothing because with that stand on your back i mean plus those sticks i mean if you want to take a bag with you too you're going to be i mean up to 30 pounds sometimes and that takes a toll on you, sweating a lot. And uh, another thing is you got to have, I mean, scout beforehand and have a tree pinpointed because that makes it a lot easier. So you're not running around like a dummy and putting your scent all over. Right. And as far as gear, like tree stands and everything, like brands and sticks and everything, like what, what do you recommend? Like your setup or would you change your setup a little bit? I mean... I like the XOP stand, like the straps that Lone Wolf and XOP have are like, they're awesome. Even with the sticks, like it's, you literally put the loop around on the disc and you pull tight and it's like, it's very easy to do. But I do like the Millennium tree stand set up. I'm pretty sure they have like the receiver. Yep. Yeah. That's what I have. I have all Millenniums, not all Millenniums, but I've got like six Millenniums and the receivers are awesome. They're so handy. I got it like that's got to make it 10 times easier. I think like getting your sticks and your receiver up and then you bring the stand up or you can, I mean, you can do it all in one trip. Sometimes stand on your back. How many, how many trips are you making up and down the tree? Like this year, I know there's a lot of ways you can do it yourself and just do one trip. But I was, I'd take two sticks on the side of me and I'd set my first stick, get on that one, get my alignment belt set up and then hang two and then I'd always leave, either put my stand on my back on the next trip down. And then, I mean, it was hard because I'd never bought a rope. And that's another thing I recommend is have a rope attached to your stand so you don't have to go down for your bow for a third time. I was probably doing three trips, which this year I'm definitely going to take out of the equation. So you, you, were, you, were three, you were three trips no matter what. Yeah, because I just, I mean, I got to get a better setup. So the XOP, what what stand is the XOP? What would you say it was? The Vanish stand. It's their smallest one. Okay. I mean, if you want a lot of foot room, it's not the best one, but I liked it because it was easy to fit. And I had a little car I was using, so it was easy to fit in there. And it's really good when you're going through brush and stuff because it sits right snug to your back. And it's, it's really not that big of a stand. But I know Millennium, they got two stands that are small. Like yeah, that. and I think those would be the perfect ones. 
Yep, we uh I've been fortunate my bosses that I film they've been they've been sponsored by Millennium since day one. So the last seven years I've been sitting in whether I'm filming or hunting and nothing but Millenniums and the comfort is just unbelievable. We we don't do a lot of we don't I mean honestly for the hang and hunt, like Casey, I don't know if you watch any of our shows or not, but I film my boss Casey a lot. I mean that he's the only one I filmed for the last six years, seven years. And we had some really good luck back to back years doing hanging hunts in Illinois. We the first year we killed a uh, 175 inch, um, just gnarly. You know he had like 43 inches of mass. And Jesus. Yeah, so we went in there and we. Uh, I'm actually him and I are going to be doing a three part series on all these deer that we killed. Just him and I talking back and forth here on the podcast eventually. Um, but anyway, so in a nutshell, we we were hunting this deer for, I don't know, almost two weeks and finally caught up with him. We got out of a stand one morning and went and figured we went around him. He was with a doe and we hung another stand at about one o'clock and he ended up showing up at like three o'clock, walked to four yards right from our stand. And we, we you know, he, put a really good shot on him and mm-hmm. killed him the next year we go back um on a different piece in illinois hunted the biggest eight point i've ever seen in my life he ended up going 182 inches as an eight point holy cow yeah with some with some kickers um and so he was technically i can't remember what he was actually now how many how many points he did have but he was a mainframe eight and um I was a, I believe it was an 80 acre piece of ground and it might've been a little bigger than that, but it wasn't very big. This deer was living on the neighbors, but our, our, our thing was, is the neighbors, they didn't bow hunt. They only rifle hunted and rifle season was coming. Well, we hunted this deer for 18 days and we saw him three times, I believe, um, never got a shot. And out of those 18 days that we hunted him, I would probably say Casey might have more stats on this, which I'll, I'd probably say 70% of the time we never saw a deer. We just got skunked the whole time. So it was a tough hunt, but, um, we we're hunting them in a corner of the, the property. And we we're like, we got to move. Once this crop comes out, it was corn. The crop came out. We scout, we took a night off of hunting, scouted from the truck, saw all these does coming out of this finger, went in the next, didn't hunt the next morning, went in mid morning, hung it, sat it, he rattled, he comes out to like, what was it, 38 yards or something like that, and throttles him right there. Wow. He's done. Yeah, so him and I have had some pretty good, you know, pretty good success hanging hunt. We call it hang and bang. We actually mm-hmm. coined the phrase hang and bang. But, um, you know, I've been kind of wanting to do it on, on state land around here and just trying to, I'm just trying to get any little bit of information. So I might try to get some advice from you on you know just you know just things to do and you know like you said it's a learning process and I'm sure every time you go out you probably think of something you could have done better or why did I do that or I did I really I you know I hung it in seven minutes you know that's I'm getting better at it I would have to think the biggest thing would be walking out and not trying to get sweaty that would be the biggest (laughs) that is my yeah, that's my biggest pet peeve about it. It's just it's hard to get in there in those early seasons, like when you want to go really far back. And yeah, 
stay dry. It's yeah, it's almost impossible sometimes. But well, that's cool, man. It's like I said, you you were successful twice in the same tree in two days uh, doing hanging hunts in public land, Michigan. That's that's a feat that hopefully you didn't get spoiled in next year. Hopefully, you know what I mean for the yeah, next no, couple of years. I'm worried about that too. But that's one of the things that motivates me because every time I catch a big fish or shoot a nice buck, all these guys are telling me, oh, it's hard to do again, but it's like, right. I'm, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to work hard and get it done. So that's what we do it for, man. That's, yeah. you know, that's, that's the best part about it. And mm-hmm. it's really cool. And <laughs> it, I, I still just can't get over how you did that in Michigan. That's, like yeah, you, was, ne- you never really hear i don't do you know a lot of guys that do hanging hunts in michigan i mean have you heard of a lot of people i know guys that use climbers but nothing like what i'm doing i don't i, don't, I mean i'm gonna get my friends into it i know a couple of them are buying some this year but yeah i don't know i haven't seen anyone going with a hanging hunt system on their back or anything so i mean it's pretty i i have to explain it to a lot of people i talk to about it so i might have to keep it actually a secret because <laughs> i mean it's it's pretty beneficial so it is yeah and that's one of the biggest growing things in the hunting industry right now is hanging hunts i mean you don't see a lot of people using climbers anymore that are our age you know mm-hmm. like a lot of the older guys they're still using climbers because that's what they they did and they'd probably look at you like so you literally carry a hang on in and yes. hang it and then hunt it and take it down and do it again it's like that's a lot of work they'd probably say but it's the challenge man just trying to make everything i don't know i don't know if it's necessarily making it harder but it's just it's just making it more fun i feel like that's the fun part about it and it's it's a lot of fun like seeing new views almost every time you go out like new setups yeah it's- you never know what's going to happen, especially when I don't put cameras out. It's like there could be a 140, 160 inch deer coming or living in this area. And I have no idea. Exactly. Know, so. And that's one thing that I had an issue with too, because I'm the same way as, you know, you and you were talking earlier about your cameras and like checking cards. And I love doing that. Like I got so attached to my cameras in the last couple of years that I'm like, I'm just blowing up spots. And the thing is, I, I, I don't, I don't hang the pictures on my wall, like mm-hmm. to say, Hey, I got a 130 inch deer on camera. Like I, there's my trophy. I want to, I want to kill that deer. You know what I mean? I want to have the fun of chasing that deer. But then it's like, I get wrapped up into everything you see on TV. Cause I'm in the TV world. So it's like, yep. but that doesn't apply to me here. You know what I mean? It works great mm-hmm. for us in Kansas and Iowa and Missouri and everything. But like when I go to Missouri and hunt, I forget everything I've ever known in Michigan mm-hmm. because I just do things totally different out there and it, it's, it's a different ball game and it's just different. It's a different world. And if no, if you've never experienced it, like if, I don't know if you ever, have you ever hunted out of state? Nope. So when you go to Wisconsin this year, Wisconsin, I've hunted Wisconsin one year and it was, it was, we had a down year, but saw my first albino buck actually first oh, albino wow. deer. Um, yeah, but it, when you go there, like you just won't pick your bow up when you see a three and a half year old, hundred twenty inch deer. You just won't, you know. So when I go to state, it's four year old. Here, it's a three year old. So yeah, actually, the county in Wisconsin that I'd be hunting is next to Buffalo County down there, close to Iowa. So is it uh, Trempolo? I don't actually know, but it's I think it's right on Trempolo one of those or something like that. It's on one of the tributaries to the Mississippi. I want to say it's okay there, so it's. I mean, it's right down there by Buffalo County. That's really all I know. I don't remember the 
I'll have to get the name from sometime. But yeah, I think we were in. I think it's pronounced Tremplow County or something. That's where we were. Uh, and dude, I'm telling you, when you're talking bluffs and hills, <laughs> it is it is up and down everywhere. It's just you get car sick going through the hills if you're not yeah. used to it. <laughs> <laughs> Dang yeah. Well, cool, man. I think we're I think we're coming up on time here, and I just want to thank you for coming on and doing this. And uh, I know there's a lot more we could get into because I know you're managing, you know, you're getting into the whitetail management and everything on your on your private piece. So maybe that's something we we circle back to here, you know, later this year or something. And I definitely oh, yeah. want to I definitely want to get you back on maybe after the fall and see how your hang and hunt went this year. And and uh, yeah. you know, I appreciate you coming on and. I want to keep in touch and see how you're doing and everything too. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's a blast. I've always wanted to be on one of these. It's, it's pretty cool. So. Well, hopefully, hopefully people watch it. I'm, I'm the, the downloads I'm getting right now is pretty, pretty good. I, I'm actually really impressed in how it's doing just for the following and just starting off. So hopefully uh, everything keeps, keeps going and we'll definitely have you on here again, man. Yeah. I, I had fun though, but yeah, you do a really good job because you're i definitely think you're gonna get up there because you got some good people on already and i like listening to you so i appreciate it man yeah i got some we got some more people coming on too that like yep. i told you i'm trying to get caleb byers on and him and i just cannot connect right now but i gotta get a hold of him again this week and we'll uh we'll connect with him because he's got a story that everybody needs to hear oh yeah so he's all he's a good, cool guy yeah well, cool, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go, and I appreciate you coming on. And I guess till next time, we'll uh, we'll catch you later. Yep. Thanks again. Yeah, no problem. And there you have it. Thank you to Trevor Petrosky for coming on and and telling his story, man. What he's doing in Michigan on public land. It's uh, it's something that you don't hear of every day, and it's it's really cool to get his story out there. So we've been doing a giveaway on uh, the Ramcat original broadheads, and I told everybody that I would be announcing it at the end of this podcast, so it was a random drawing, and I appreciate everybody with the support and everything coming out and tagging all your friends and everything in the post and following the podcast. I really appreciate it. This is not going to be the last giveaway that we have. This is just the first of very many. So without further ado, the winner of the Ramcat original broadheads is and i'm gonna butcher the last name i know i am sorry but his name is alec mcalpin and alec i'm sorry if i uh butchered your name but uh you are the winner of the ramcat original broadhead so if you could go to the uh fall podcast instagram page and direct message me give me your address and everything and i'll get those broadheads sent out to you as soon as possible and again i'd like to thank everybody for participating in it and coming up next i think i've got another giveaway with a trophy taker rest so be looking out for that in the next couple of weeks so thanks everybody and also take a little time go to itunes and leave a five-star rating leave some feedback and i always appreciate that and don't forget next wednesday we got an all-new episode of the fall podcast